finished all our touring for this record, that record literally days before the world shut down. Like we were on it. We were on an Australia, New Zealand tour and we got back like something like March 8th or March 9th. It, it was, it was, it was, it was like two or three days. I remember getting back and thinking like, I thought my son was going to go back to school. But uh, yeah, little did we know. I had a work thing like, yeah, I think March like 4th or 5th. So I had to fly across the country and flew back. And it, it, we were, it was early enough that we were kind of teetering because we were putting on a big convention, had a bunch of people in the room. And, and at mm-hmm. that point, we were like, yeah, if we get enough hand sanitizer stations, this should be fine. Yeah. Just no expectations at that point. It's it's wild how quickly things just turned into what they did. It's true. That's, I guess, fortuitous timing on your end as far as anything around that could be fortuitous. You'd, like everybody else was sort of canceling or making some really, really difficult decisions that ultimately it sounds like you didn't have to make. Yeah, we were, we were lucky that way. You know, yeah, a lot of people were just taking a loss, you know, and like, oh, I guess we're down 10 grand on this tour because having the... I mean, when you have to cancel a tour two-thirds of the way through, like, you lose more than one-third of your money. Like, that that kind of decimates everything, you know, because you have all the same expenses you had before, but all of a sudden, like, that income's not coming in anymore. You know, as somebody who is a touring musician and who makes music professionally, I mean, it couldn't have been an easy time. No, uh, I mean, I feel like... I feel like we got off... You know, we were pretty lucky, you know, various things helped. Like, you know, like the checks, you know, the checks from the government helped a little bit. Um, or like, you know, my wife, you know, could go on unemployment. You know, and and I have some passive income just from, you know, songwriting, you know. So there's always, you know, there's always publishing checks coming in every few months. Um so it was it wasn't that rough on us as it was on on other people. Um, I don't remember. I mean, it wasn't a great time, but I don't remember thinking this this is going to crush us. Like we're we're in a bad place. So I felt pretty lucky. It was just lean. Times were just slightly lean. That's sort of the thing about it too. Is that it? It just it kept getting. You know, the the goalposts kept moving. I mean, I I, I remember you know, looking back at 2020 and thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be a couple weeks or, oh, this is going to be a couple months or this is going to be, and, and, you know, and obviously like it is kind of still ongoing now, but the, mm-hmm. you were able to so, so, sort of still make it work and, and, and continue to produce music the way that you have in normal times. Yeah. Because, um, we've always been a long distance band. We've always, we've always been the band that's like, you know, sending tracks around and everybody everybody almost everybody in the band has has a either a a full studio at their house or or a decent studio set up um or at least you know some way to do some diy recording so um yeah that that part was made it easier and like just whenever we were near like our drummer was visiting family he was visiting family in New Hampshire. So I said, I remember this was sometime in 2020. I remember saying, just come and record for two days. Let's do drums. I don't know what we're going to do. 
but let's just let's just drum. Let's just drum on the songs I'm working on. I don't even know if it's pornographer's music, but let's just do a bunch of drumming. And we've we've done that, you know. And we still do it. Like whenever we have a day off on tour, like let's let's go into a tour. Let, or sorry, let's go into a studio and and record for a day or two because it's it's worth doing it. We're together. We're together. So let's uh let's do some work. But uh just being at home, I mean, I'm lucky that I have, I mean, that's where I am. I'm in my studio space. I have like a separate studio space that I can go to that's separate from my house. So um, it was great to have a place I could just go to and work. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to stop. Like I, I, I didn't need to, you know, I, did, I wasn't depending on anyone else. I didn't need to go into a studio to work on music. So I felt very grateful for that. It would, and it was, it was very therapeutic. It was very, it was nice to have some place to go and just, just be creative. Like, it, like, at times I thought it didn't even matter that I was finishing anything. I just wanted, I just wanted to work on music. I just wanted to, I just wanted to like fiddle around on songs. Because yeah, it, uh, you know, it's a good thing trying to be creative. It, uh, it's good for the brain. It's you know, it's good to good to have your brain moving. I, I think that's why a lot of people started making bread. Now, I, thankfully I didn't have to make bread in the pandemic, you know, because like I didn't have to stop doing what I was doing. Um, I could still write, I could still record. Um, so I didn't, I didn't feel drawn to baking. If you're making bread, you're making something right. That you're, you're, yeah. you're like actually producing something that you, you, you have like a tangible result of where your time was going that you don't get yeah. if you're sitting and watching Netflix all day. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it was, um, and it's, it's just as legitimate, you know, I think somebody making bread is just as legitimate as me just toiling around on some song that maybe no one will ever hear. It's just, it's something you do to, to feel feel productive it's like a self-soothing self-soothing therapy it's nice to make something without the constraints and pressures of feeling like you like ultimately somebody has to listen to this yeah it yeah it it is i am that's how i feel these days i mean i feel some obviously there's the there's the pressure of like yeah you got to keep making me you know making money, making music, but but I also feel like, well, all I can do is just sit here and do my best. <laughs> like they like I don't I don't know I don't know some smarter, more contrived way where I could make a lot more money. You know, I feel like all my success has come from me just writing music and working on it and trying to make it good. So I think, okay, that's I'm gonna stick with that. Obviously you can write it a hook with the best of them is that in, in terms of, of of that route is that something that you ever explored like being one of the you know 20 names that appear on a pop song well you can't that is a hard world to break into <laughs> you know um i remember talking to a, my publisher years ago and saying like how do you write for people because I said, yeah, why wouldn't I want to do that? You know, well, why wouldn't you want to make a million dollars writing a song for and like hear your song on the radio like yeah. everywhere? But the thing is, everybody wants to do that, um, and there aren't, you know, only so many people do get to do it. And the person said to me, you know, you basically have to find your person. 
like so so it's like so i basically have to create my own pop star or like i i have to i either have to meet meet a current pop star and convince them that you know they should record my song or i basically have to make my own and i thought okay well that's a uh, it's good to know just shoot just shoot all my delusions down immediately so i don't waste any more time doing it but i mean people say that people have said that said that to me for years it's like why don't you do this? It's like you don't think I'm trying. <laughs> what? What? It's like it's like why don't why don't I do soundtrack scores? Because somebody has to ask you to do it. That's fair. Um, I, and, and I have done a couple of those. Um, but yeah, there is you know, you you and there's and and I see a lot of people like that are gen kind of peers of mine through the years. I used to peer name you know the word peers loosely, but contemporaries. Yeah, contemporaries. And you see them exploding, you know, and, and doing that, doing that stuff you dreamed of, like looking at like Aaron Desner or or like Tobias Gesso Jr., who have basically just moved into the the mainstream stratosphere of being like a songwriter producer. And, you know, yeah, some people get to do that. And, you know, and it's it's cool. You know, it's not a. I, I I I don't I don't resent them. It's not like if they weren't there, I would have been there to step in and take their spot. Yeah, I mean, I'd love I'd, I'd I'd love to I'd love to write for people, um, but you know, like most most like most musicians, I got to write for myself. <laughs> you know, until until somebody says, "Hey, I want to," you know, "I want to record your song." That's a healthy place to be mentally. I, I know for me in my own life, it's taken a while for me to get there to not feel to not resent people for their successes like especially when you're younger and just starting out it, it's it's really difficult not not to compare yourself to your your peers your contemporaries it oh it's true and you know it's a, i mean there's always a level of that just being human i think there's always like some minimum base level of like jealousy like oh yeah it must be nice to have a Ten million dollars and live in the Hollywood Hills or whatever, you know, just be or just be set for life. Um, but you know, I I also have to step back, step back, and remind myself that I've had it pretty good. You know, a lot of people don't get to have their little career in music, you know, and I got that, you know, and I have my little, I have my house here, and I built my little studio where I can work, and it's you know, it's something I would. I really kind of dreamt of and worked towards through the years. So I feel, you know, I feel pretty lucky. And I try, you know, you just try and remind yourself that, you know, be happy with your place. You know, you know that, you know, that long poem, Desiderata, it's a great, it, it's a poem somebody wrote like, like a hundred years ago, but, but it's the great, it, it's, it's one of those things you, you read just to remind yourself like it's 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 one of those things like be at peace do not be vain you know like do not take pride in your work do not be jealous of others it's it's like this long it's this long screed that you can just read over the course of three or four minutes and remind yourself like yes you know the world the world the universe is at peace you know uh try try to be at peace as well um so yeah, I try, I try, to, I try to be, I try to be zen about things. Um, just be. I've had, I've had. I mean, I feel like I've had it pretty good. You know, I talk to, 
I talk to other people. Or I mean, it's not you don't have to go very far to see how people are struggling in this world. You know, and I'm. I don't have to show up at a job I hate. And that's like 80% of the, you know, I feel like 80% of the population just gets up and goes to a job that they hate. And they go to that job they hate just to get by, not save money, just to like get the bills paid that month. And that's like a massive section of the population. So like when I put it all in perspective, it's like, yeah, who, who cares that I'm not writing and producing Taylor Swift records, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've had it nice. I was talking to somebody from Europe about this and, and it's, it seems profoundly American, maybe Canadian as well. I'm not sure, but the, the thing that we do when you're introduced to somebody new, first thing is your name. Second thing yeah. invariably is what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a foundational definitional thing to us. And like that, it kind of sucks generally for most people, but that really sucks if you just if you don't like what you're doing and and it's kind of in a sense the thing that defines you. Yeah, that that is shitty. I mean, I mean it's even weird. Like when I was before the pornographer started getting popular, there was a feeling of like being embarrassed to say I was a musician, you know, because saying I was a musician just felt like saying I'm unemployed. And even even when I started making my living from music, I remember telling people. I'm a musician and people would occasionally say, yeah, but what, what do you do for a living? And I'd say, no, no, that's what I do. I, <laughs> my, my job is I make enough money to live off of my music. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely a very much zero to hero thing with musicians. Like you're, you feel like a loser, but then all of a sudden everybody's super impressed by you. All, all of a sudden it's like, wow. And it's like, well, you should, you should have reacted like that from the beginning. You know, you should you should be interested in every musician that you meet, you know, because it's a it's a legitimate it's a legitimate job. It's an interesting job. You come from a place that obviously nowhere is perfect, but does a better job at supporting artists than here. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the stimulus checks and that's like, you know, the, the, literally the least that could possibly be done to help people not starve. Yeah, it was so rare. And 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 all and of course billionaires had to line their pockets with 90% of it, you know, and then and then and then the the dribs the dribs got sent out to the rest of the population. Um yeah, I mean, I think I think it was good living in in Canada. Like I think about it cuz in the New York Times there was an article about the artists. Did you did you see that? 2,000 artists in Ireland were given um, basically basic income for a year. They were given like $1,500 a month. And it was an article about that and the artist saying how this made a big difference to me. And and I think in Canada, we, we, didn't, we didn't have that, but I felt like it was easier to get by being poor. I think I essentially spent the entirety of my 20s just being poor, uh, being a poor musician. But I could survive. You know, I didn't have I didn't have much rent. Uh, you know, and 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 I feel like it would have made such a big difference if somebody had said, "Here, here's twelve hundred dollars a month," like or even a thousand. Here's a thousand twelve hundred dollars a month, and I would have thought, like, okay, yeah, I'm not rich, but but I can pay my rent and I can I can live. Uh, you know, I can not scrape to survive. And, you know, and I think 
what a what a wonderful what a wonderful world and that would be and a lot of europe is like that you know the scandinavian countries you can be on unemployment and yeah you can afford you can you can be married and have kids and and be a noise musician and yeah you can you can get by you can survive and i think that that's how it should be you know some people are content to live like that and not have much but most people are going to strive for more you know most people are not going to say i want to live off a thousand dollars a month for the rest of my life this is the life they're going to try and move on to something different um but you know we're in america where like america where there's there's just a general feeling that you must suffer like you must you must suffer just to survive the idea of like giving everybody enough to survive it just seems alien and it's like why shouldn't everybody have enough to survive just enough to survive nothing special um that's kind of a tangent but we do romanticize the struggle in our 20s right i mean there is something when you're like when you're still young you know you can still kind of you you can work like get a restaurant job or you know work retail and then like still have the energy to to go home and and write and perform Mm -hmm. but something that's romantic in your 20s like it it sure doesn't stay romantic when you get to your 30s or 40s Mm -hmm. yeah it's a But, you know, but, you know, there is, you know, like, I find myself touring and, you know, like, there is some some part of touring that sucks, but there's some part of touring that I, that I still kind of enjoy that I'm kind of glad, you know, that like, that I still get to do it, even though I'm kind of too old for it at this point. But I, there, there's, I I love that, like, I'm an adult man and and I get to go out and I get to go out and hang out with my friends, you know, and, and, and play music. Like, uh, like I'm glad I get to do something that people think of as such a, such a childish thing to do. But, um, but yeah, it's my job. Again, this is sort of the modern condition, but most people after a certain point in life, like don't really have a lot of close friends and you're able to maintain that through, through this, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. And you, it, it reaches you out into a bigger community, which I love. I think that's why people get sucked into religion or even cults, you know, because they want to be a part of a community. It is funny how many like cult leaders are failed musicians. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you see, yeah, you see how people, you know, need that community and musicians have that, you know? Um, and so, you know, in, instead of like a church group, I, I can travel around and I can meet other musicians or just and or people just people who come to the shows who love music or people who work in venues or promoters or just every everybody who works in that world. Um, yeah, so that, that and that is I, I've always appreciated that. I, I think that's what I always loved about music when I, when I realized it could be a community. What does it mean to be too old to tour? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, what do you mean? What do I mean when I say that? Yeah, I mean, you know, you were obviously saying it like, you know, somewhat jokingly because you're still doing it. And and there probably will be a point in your life when you are like physically too old to tour. Well, you know, I think, well, it's. It's it's like you're talking about, uh, you know, you're in your 20s, maybe you tour around in a van and you're like, this is cool. And, you know, you're sleeping on people's floors. But then I don't do that anymore and I wouldn't want to go back to that. And so, I, you know, I'm at the next level where 
you know, I'm, I'm touring in a bus, but it's, but it's still kind of grinding, you know, like you're, you're still kind of cutting corners in some places. It's like, uh, and, uh, and you're still, you know, there's, there's a lot of work. Maybe you're going to a radio session and, uh, you know, like you have, you haven't crossed into total rock star world yet. You know, <laughs> you know, I think, I think the point when, it's okay to be an older person touring is when you're like, yeah, I'm a total rock star. I have my own bus. I tour and complete. I, I do tour and complete uh, comfort and style. And then it feels like, sure, be an, be an, be an old person touring. But, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still in that. I'm still in that kind of, although I've done, you know, very well, I'm still in that kind of scrappy place. You know, I'm not, I'm flying coach. I'm not flying in first class, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, we're, we're still trying to look for the cheaper flights, you know, we're still, we're still trying to, we're still trying to cut costs so we make more money on the tour and that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, it's, it's the life I chose and why not, you know, it's, and also I, why should, why should I be a rock star? You know, it's, it's not like the world owes it to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky you know, I feel I just feel lucky to have my place again. Yeah, I mean, I think something that like as I've gotten older that has been useful to, I guess, come to grips with is realizing that like, hey, maybe there's a ceiling to what I do. You know, maybe you know what I mean. Like, maybe this is something I can't parlay into being, you know, a superstar. Yeah, like I, I was thinking about that. It's like somebody had a job. Like, like you might you might work at a corporation. Maybe you've worked there for twenty years. Maybe you've worked there for thirty years. And at some point, you have to reconcile the fact that, yeah, I'm not going to be the CEO. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be running the Western U.S. division. I'm, I'm going to be the manager here in in my department. And I think when you, and I, you know, I realized that, like, yeah, like I'm not going to, for for me to break through, something weird would have to happen. <laughs> you know, like. Like something, something weird that I have no control of would have to happen. So like, I, I'm under no delusion. Like, oh, if I make this record really good, it'll break through and we'll have a hit and we'll get huge. It's like, no, um, that's not, that's not going to happen. It doesn't mean you can't make a great record that a lot of people like. Um, but yeah, you, you realize you're, you're limited. I mean, I've thought that for the longest time. I remember even when we were at our most popular you know, like around 2005, 2006, I remember thinking like, there's like, there's only so many things we can do, you know, because, and it had to do with the, the kind of band we were, you know, like we, we couldn't, we couldn't spend six months touring the world. We didn't have, you know, we, sometimes we couldn't get Nico to play with us. Sometimes we couldn't get Dan to play with us. We, we were like, we would just worked a band that we, we, we like, I just knew like, I had to accept it back then. Like I've got a good thing here, but it has a kind of ceiling on it, like an obvious ceiling. Um, and I'm just going to try and, you know, do my best. Uh, like even knowing there is this obvious ceiling. Yeah. And you see, and you see so many bands pass you, you, you see, you see bands, you know, just like started out small and it was like, Hey, nice to meet you. Vampire weekend in fleet foxes. You're an obscure new band. Six months later. Oh, you're on SNL. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, which is not to say that with any kind of bitterness. It's like, you just kind of get used to the fact that like, yeah, 
some some bands are just going to zoom past you and become stars and there are amazing bands that will never get a break bands you love will you know have to get day jobs because they they can't break through for some reason and yeah it's just part of it's like a a bingo game part of it's a crapshoot you've had the ac newman stuff and you've had solo stuff but you know this is the new pornographers are really like your specifically your main focus would you say yeah oh definitely i haven't i haven't made a solo record in 10 years and i'm not i'm not planning on it because at some point i thought like why <laughs> like i ha- like i have a big i have a bigger platform here sure and it's not and it's not that different it's not like it's not like I want a place for my techno music or I want a place for my neoclassical music. My solo records were making, I was making music was not that far removed from the pornographer. So I thought, why don't I just, why don't I just do this? Was it frustrating in the, in those early days? And, and is there a sense in which it continues to be frustrating in that? Like, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think Dan is technically in the band anymore, but that, no, that this is kind of everybody's or this is a, a bunch of people's side projects, but this is your main thing. Yeah. I was, I was just talking about that with somebody. Um, yeah. It's every, almost everybody else in the band is their side project. But for me, it's, 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 it's the main thing. But I, I think, I think that's kind of what has helped with the longevity is that it's like, nobody is jockeying for a position in the band, at least not anymore. Um, and uh, so People, people know it's like, yeah, I'm the person kind of guiding this thing. And, um, you know, and obviously I want everybody's ideas and I want everybody's input. Uh, I want it to be a group effort. But, yeah, I'm, I'm the person kind of corralling it. And, and these days I'm like doing a lot of my own engineering and, you know, production and mixing, just kind of overseeing it a lot more than I used to. Um. Yeah, and I and I think people 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 know that, so it it it, it seems to work, you know. When you say at least not anymore, was there tension early on? <laughs> well, we do we we have we have dropped a couple of band members through the years. It's it's not you it's not it's not usually people don't when people leave bands, no matter what they say, it's usually not people uh, dancing hand in hand into the sunset. <laughs> you know um it can still be amicable but there can still be tension yeah yeah you know but you know and like and sometimes you know when a person when you can tell a person's just not into doing it anymore you know it's like a it's like a relationship falling apart it's like we don't have to hate each other but yeah we should not be married anymore dan specifically is interesting because he he was out and then he came back for a little while is there is there kind of an open door policy for him specifically oh very, very much so. I mean, and it's always been that way. Literally from the beginning. Like, he he moved to Spain about a month or two after Mass Romantic came out. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like, like right at the moment when it feels like something's finally happening, you're going to move to Spain. But, you know, it's, that's just how he's always been. But then he came back from Spain and ended up being on the second record. And, um, you know, and then he was on every record until brew brill bruisers um yeah you know he's like he's never been in photos like he like he always kind of wanted to keep his distance you know it was something that he could just kind of pop in and do and it's it's still like that like i don't know it's conceivable he could be on another pornographer's record i i don't know you know but um but that door is not closed you know it's it's not like it's not like morrissey and mar it's not like a 
we will never work together. <laughs> I, I promise you that. It's very much like we're 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 friends, you know. Like I I love hanging out with them when I can. Um, with something like that and somebody like him, I mean, he's you know he's he's brilliant. As long as things are still cool between the two of you, why not keep it open? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think I think it's cool because there's always been that open door policy. I think he's always had that kind of. I've never I've never been you know. I've never been on his ass, like going, you got to be in or out, man. You got you know, you to be focused on the band. It was always like, hey, we're happy to have you whenever you can do it. You know, obviously, you know, obviously I'm going to ask you to do it, you know, because we're friends and I'm a fan of what you do. Um, but, you know, it's, a, you know, yeah, he's he's a great guy. You know, he's like, it's like he just wrote me out of the blue a couple months ago just to tell me how much he liked the new record. And I was like, yeah, that means a huge amount coming from Dan because he's, he's kind of my ultimate audience, you know, like when you're, when you're making music, you're like, yeah, you, you want, you know, if, if you could, if your peers, if your peers are into what you do, then you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that makes me feel good. I was reading or listening to something, I think an interview with you and, and you had sort of described this idea of working within your means, you know, of like, and, and, and this relates to what we've been talking about, but of like realizing what your skill sets are and then really honing those. But reading some of the kind of press material around the new record, it sounds like there was also an extent here in which you were trying to, to push some of those things and maybe work outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially in terms of, uh, like learning to record or but you know a lot of it was i mean i had time i had so much time where i could just sit sit in this studio here and just throw stuff at the wall for hours and i and i grew to love it and 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 i realized there was stuff that i was just like making and recording and i thought we'll we'll do a version later that sounds better and then when it got down to it i realized no what I'm doing is good. Like, you know, like not being an engineer or even understanding, I couldn't talk to you intelligently about engineering and production, but I, but I did it. And I know what I like. I like, you know, I mess, I mess with effects and the EQ until I find what I like. And, um, and I realized like, okay, well I can, I can do this. Maybe, maybe it takes me longer to get there, but, but yeah, I, I know how to do this. And that, that kind of opened that kind of opened things up for me a lot. Um, just to, to trust trust my instincts in a new way. At what point in the process did you realize that that was something that you could take on yourself? You know, I remember on the on the last record uh, we were doing we were doing some recording in Vancouver and I'd done a lot of recording myself here. And I remember Dave Carswell, who's worked with us on a lot of records. I remember him turning like turning around in his chair in the studio and going like, you recorded all this yourself? And I said, yeah. And he said, it sounds really good. And I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> I was like, I was trying real hard. And so the, the, fa- the fact that like a producer that I, I, I admired and respected like thought, yeah, this sounds good what you've done here. I, uh, you know, I felt... I felt okay. I'm I'm getting there. That's good. I'm 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 actually getting there. I had Nick Lowe on the show um, a while ago. You know, like the, like talk about like geniuses of of writing mm-hmm. perfect pop music. But you know, and he was describing, and actually, like funnily enough, Rick Rubin. I don't want to say got in trouble, but maybe got like became a character of the day and on Twitter because he was describing like his role as producer 
Oh yeah, I, I saw that where he's like, I don't know how to do anything. Like obviously he was, you know, downplaying. Like yeah, you know. kind of, kind of bullshit. Like I, but I know, I know what he means. Like if I was describing myself, I would, I might say something similar. You know, like and I think what he was trying to say is something I would say as well. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not an, I'm not an expert. You know, I don't know everything there is to know about every board, but I know what I, I know what I like. And I know how to, you know, I know how to get a sound. I know, I know when I hear the sound I like, and I know when I hear a sound I don't like. And sometimes it's as easy as pushing a fader up and down, or, or, you know, or just, or just turning the mix on a, on an effect. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's not. It is not rocket science. And some of the great, some of the great producers just knew how to get a good performance. They knew, like, Joe Boyd, like, he just he just moved the mics around. Like, let's move the mic here. Oh, it sounds cool. You know, like, the band's in the room. Let's just, like, figure out what, what the, where the mics are going to go, where it sounds good. And that that is a brilliant kind of production. It is kind of simple. What Nick said to me, Mister, what Mr. Lowe said to me, and whatever other people have said to me, is that there's also just value in being an outside voice for for the bands you know like just like obviously like you've been writing and recording all this music together and just to have somebody come in and give their sort of third party opinions is valuable yeah i i i think so i mean some it depends who the person is well sure if it's nick Lowe, it's yeah it, it's not it's not just any opinion like it like it should be it should be somebody whose opinion you really value so i mean and it's, you know sometimes people come in with their opinions and they think, oh, I'm the outside voice. So you should listen to me. I have perspective. And it's like, yeah, but I don't respect you. So I don't I don't care about your perspective. Or you just don't understand what we're doing, which is probably yeah, the exactly. case. Yeah, the exactly. I think that is the balance sometimes is knowing when to listen to yourself because it's your project and you know what you want, and when to listen to other people because you can get lost in your head. Sometimes you, you, you lose perspective. Sometimes Sometimes you can't hear what's good. Sometimes you want to cut a good song just because your brain has just told you you're sick of it and you need another person to go, no, this is good. And sometimes you need another person to go, this song you love so much, I don't really like it that much. <laughs> you know, uh, but you can ignore that. You know, you, I, you know, it's, it's my job to, it's their job to give their opinions and it's my job to, to go, well, okay. I'm going to listen carefully and take it into account, but I don't have to listen. You know, when Nick Lowe and Rick Rubin give you suggestions, maybe you only take half of them, you know, and maybe, maybe it's that balance that makes it all work. We've all been up in our own heads for the last three years, right? It's like, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, it's unavoidable. And, and, you know, as you said, the band's been remote basically since the beginning, but obviously the pandemic has been incredibly isolating and, you know, just the mere fact that you're doing as much as you are in your own studio at your own home. Like, how does it, it, it must be hard to not be like too much in your own head about the music making process. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I think I definitely am, but um, I think I'm kind of aware. I think I'm aware when I get there, like, Like I, I sometimes I have to work through it. Like I, I feel like, like just, just, just try and be creative, 
And if you have an idea, even if it's a dumb idea, well, hopefully you'll realize, you know, spend a few hours on your dumb idea and then come back a couple of days later and listen to it with your fresh ears. And maybe you'll go, well, that was, you know, that was pointless, you know, like, like being like, and that's, that's a way to get out of your head is just to like, leave it for a while and come back and, and, and forget about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I that balance of because uh, there's a there's a there's an element of craziness that I think is essential to our music. <laughs> like it, like there's a there's an element of it that is the sound of a person just kind of going off a little bit. Like I want I want to make kind of off decisions. Like like I want I don't always want our music to be very clear and concise and radio friendly. Sometimes I I want it to be. Sometimes the right thing for me is something slightly cacophonous, maybe something slightly muddy. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how to rein the madness in. I, I don't really know the answer, except try to be aware. Try to be aware that it's happening. It's like the first step of, uh, you know, becoming sober is to admit you have a problem, you know? So the first, the first step of like, getting over that is to remind yourself that yeah you're you can get lost in your head so try and stop yourself try and stop yourself when you feel like you're you know you're you're losing it a little bit and it's probably surprisingly easy to go the brian wilson route i'm <laughs> just being kind of driven i mean obviously like there were that he had you know there were underlying things that he was dealing with but but also just like to extend being driven mad by the pursuit of making something perfect his his case is so weird because he I mean like pet sounds and good vibrations he was on to something just insane and revolutionary and it almost makes you feel better about yourself that that he went crazy yeah it's, it's like of course like to be that good you know to 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 be, to be that good is to, to to look into the precipice it is to gaze into madness. Uh, and, you know, and after that, you go, yeah, where would you go next? Where would you go after making good vibrations? Where would you go next in pop music? Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, insanity. Insanity was the only uh, the only logical place, the only logical place to go after that. I mean, not not to be not to be flippant about it, but, you know, obviously, like everybody, I, I'm just. I mean, in, in awe of his work, and um, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating study because, yeah, how does how does somebody going go from being the absolute most original, top of the game musician producer to just losing it completely? I mean, there not many it doesn't happen to many other people. Is there an extent to which you're sort of starting from? as close as you can get to a perfect pop song in terms of like, you know, melody and hooks and then trying to kind of mess it up or trying to make it a little weirder. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Like I don't want to make like people always call us, call us a power pop band. Like I don't want to be a power pop band, you know, like um, a lot of that music sounds really boring to me. <laughs> um, so like I remember songs like 
songs like Sing Me Spanish Techno, it became one of our most popular songs. But I remember when we were recording it thinking, this just sounds dumb. Like, I remember, like, to me, it just seemed like so, it just seemed so straight ahead. Sing Me Spanish Techno, dumb song. Um, but people seem to like it. This is my, like, big life lesson of, of, of recent vintage is you, like, you, you, you can't get mad, like, when people like something that you don't think is your best thing, you've, you've got to take that and appreciate that they just like something that you do at all. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And, and it, yeah, because it's a pop song. It, it was a good pop song. But, you know, to me, I thought it was too straight. <laughs> 